Hey, welcome to The Prophetic Angle. This is Pastor Rick Bowen, and I can't believe that it's just about a week until the most important midterm elections of my life and maybe the history of the United States of America. Because if the right result doesn't take place, then for all practical purposes, our nation could be seeing the end of what we have known it to be. And instead of characterizing what that would look like, you could let your imagination run wild. It's not pretty. It's dystopian. Uh, we're already in a dystopian trajectory because of all the plots, conspiracies that compose the agenda of the nefarious left and the underworld. Satan himself is overseeing the synergistic combination of efforts by different groups that some refer to individually as the cabal and some refer to collectively as the cabal. And so we could get into terminology and parse words and semantics could rule the day, or we could just go ahead and say, we've got an enemy and Satan is at the top. He's the prince of the power of the air. We also have on our side, Yahweh Elohim, and if God be for us, who can be against us? Now we also look at the scripture and numerous eschatological interpretations have been extracted, extrapolated through history based on different factors. We're not going to get into all those in this particular post or let's say podcast, but I subscribe to the premillennial eschatology viewpoint. I also believe in the pre-wrath rapture. Now, I'd have to explain all that. But let's just say I believe we're in the age, the church age, the aeon. And we're at the latter part of that age. To make it very simple, I believe at the end of that age, there will be a seven-year period called Daniel's 70th week, concluded by the last three and a half years of that seven years, into which much of the activity in the book of Revelation takes place. If we read the book of Revelation, we find some very cataclysmic, catastrophic events that look like world war and it could be based on people's projection world war three or world war four you know because um some people believe there's a precipitating war found in ezekiel um i believe 38 and others believe that same war described there is Armageddon, which is at the end of the seven years. I'm just throwing a few things at you here to let you know that it's not cut and dry. Everything's not in concrete as to how it's going to unfold because as we get closer to it, it will make more sense. It's like anything else you see from a distance. It kind of blurs together. But then when you get closer, the clarity begins to develop the dimensions and the... Uh, the depth of the vision begins to become apparent. And that's why we are understanding some things now that we did not get even 10 years ago, because we are approaching what 
would collectively or the composite, which would be called the end time. So it's, it's a number of years, it's a number of factors, a number of happenings that are taking place. I want to talk to you about the nuclear option. It's kind of uh, funny, but if you look it up in the dictionary, you find that in the United States, the nuclear option is a parliamentary procedure that allows the Senate, which is in, uh, let's just say right now, it's in flux, that's F-L-U-X, meaning that right now the Democrats are in charge, but then the Republicans can take charge of the Senate after November the 8th. Well, they won't take charge till after January the 20th if they, in fact, are elected and, in, in fact, they can override the cheating that will take place. There will be some cheating that will take place. We're praying that God will mitigate that cheating and uh, that we can mitigate the cheating. And we will see that righteousness will prevail. But it says in the dictionary, uh, in the United States Senate, the nuclear option is parliamentary procedure that allows the Senate to override a standing rule by a simple majority, avoiding the two-thirds supermajority normally required to invoke cloture on a resolution to amend Senate rules. The nuclear option can be invoked by a senator raising a point of order that contravenes a standing rule. <laughs> I know some of this is plain as mud to some of us in Greek. It sounds like Greek because we don't know Greek either, right? Some of us. The, preside, the presiding officer would then overrule the point of order based on Senate rules and precedents. This ruling would then be appealed and overturned by a simple majority or a tie vote establishing a new precedent because then the vice president could um, be the deciding vote. The nuclear option is made possible by the principle in the Senate procedure that appeals from rulings of the chair on points of order relating to non-debatable questions are themselves non-debatable. Since cloture is a non-debatable question, the appeal is decided without debate. This obviates the usual requirement for two-thirds, which I think is what, 65, 65 or 60 votes, 60 votes, I think because there's 100 senators, right? So a simple majority would be, what, 51. This obviates the usual requirement for two-thirds majority to invoke closure on a resolution amending the standing rules, and so on. We could read and get more in the weeds here. But the nuclear option, at the end, it says, the nuclear option is an analogy to nuclear weapons being the most extreme option in warfare. And we could talk about how the nuclear option became an option uh, in the Senate uh, relatively recently, I guess. And, um, but that, that's neither here nor there for the purposes of this podcast. But the phrase has the concept of um, something severe, something um, that decides what the resolution or what the outcome is going to be other than the orthodox method, which 
you would say would be probably the safer route, generally speaking. And that would maybe have some qualifications based on parliamentary procedure. So let's move back into warfare, though, because what we're talking about, the nuclear option, is what they're talking about now in warfare in the altercations that are currently taking place in the world, like in Ukraine, like in Korea, like in Syria, like in the Arab world, uh, Saudi Arabia, um, Iraq, among the Sunnis and the, and the Shiite Muslims, the communist countries. More specifically, you're hearing Vladimir Putin and his regime talk about, just use the word nuclear. Now, before I go any further, remember, uh, and I had to kind of look this up, the atomic bombs of World War II were nuclear bombs. There's basically two not types of nuclear weapons or bombs, um, fusion and fission. Now, fission is where there is a dividing of an unstable nucleus in the process of creating this cataclysmic, catastrophic energy that's released that just devastates everything. And then fusion is where two separate kinds of nucleuses are combined. Now, of course, if you don't understand um, atoms, you know, electrons, protons, neutrons, the combination of which creates an atom of a various, of various um, substances, then, you know, it might have been a long time ago you went to high school or college and, and you can't recollect all the terminology there. But there's energy that can be released. There's energy in those atoms and that energy can be released, and it can be huge. So, and, and there's more to it than that. But now that Trump is not, at least evidently, the president, um, the world's gone crazy. And the talk of nuclear warfare, which has kind of been behind the scenes since the Cold War came to an end, uh, before the Cold War came to an end, and some of you may not be old enough to remember this, it was kind of uh, talked about then. I remember growing up in school, we would go through drills. We would go to the sides of the room and we would get on the floor and we would kneel down and we'd put our head between our knees and we'd put our, hand, our arms over our head or we'd get under our desk. We'd, we would have these drills to get us ready if there were to be such a war that would take place. And, you know, those of you that are old enough that are listening, and a lot of times there's people old enough listening to these podcasts to know what I'm referring to. At least you've heard of it. You know about the Bay of Pigs. You know about the, um, during John F. Kennedy's uh, presidency, how the Russians apparently were moving nuclear weapons to Cuba and that was a, a huge issue. And then throughout um, several presidencies, uh, 
uh, up until Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, there was the Cold War, which means that even though there wasn't a war in place, everybody was afraid there would be uh, a war in motion. A nuclear war could happen, and it would be over with in a short period of time. So since then, um, which has been, what, the 80s, so about 40 years almost, we have lived without talking openly, politically, um, between nations with the dialogue, using the terminology as if it were a threat of the nuclear option. But now, it's, it's very frequent if you're paying attention. There's accusations being made of dirty bombs that involve nuclear warfare and the responses that would ensue as a result. Um, the, this is taking place uh, primarily, I think, with the Ukraine-Russian conflict. But notice that NATO, which involves a lot of Europe and even the United States of America, is connected somehow to this altercation. And seemingly, it's escalating. The talk is escalating. The involvement is escalating. We're not hearing a lot about it. Unless you're digging and going into alternative media, you don't realize how the involvement is increasing in this uh, altercation conflict in Ukraine. But that's just the, the main point right now that people are focused on if they are paying attention at all. But there's peripheral things that are taking place that could connect in, in times of such a world war situation. This sort of thing happened with something relatively minor, if I can even say the word minor, on one part of the globe. And before you knew anything, you had nations allying themselves with one another over other things that might not have been directly connected until you eventually had two sides and you had a world war, but you had many nations on each side. So over in Korea, there's saber rattling. Since Trump is no longer evidently the president, um, you know, the North Korean dictator is shooting off bombs and uh, China's flying into the neutral waters around Taiwan, or not in neutral waters, but in their uh, airspace. And the word nuclear is just being used a lot. And which nations have nuclear weapons? North Korea has nuclear weapons. Uh, I don't know all the nations that do. I think India does. Um, Russia and, um, and the United States certainly do. I would imagine China has some. I don't know who has the most, I've always, we've always been made to believe it was Russia and the United States, right? And then, of course, Iran is trying to get a nuclear weapon. That has been talked about for several decades. And uh, there have been those that have not made good decisions that would actually facilitate Iran getting that nuclear weapon. And uh, on and on it goes is that this race, there was a race to the moon. There's a race to who has the most nuclear weapons. And anyway, the superpowers are those that are considered to have the most because they can inflict the most, they have the most uh, weaponry to wield and uh, leverage, therefore, to utilize. 
to uh, protect themselves, so supposedly, or to um, take over somewhere else, or to threaten some nation that they consider an enemy. So I'm talking about the nuclear option, and I referred to parliamentary procedure, and so therefore this phrase has been used not just in warfare, but that's where it came from. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. Because in the book of Revelation, and as I start to wrap this up, we're on 16 and a half minutes now, I remember the talk of prophecy prior to there being such a thing as a nuclear weapon, and those in the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, all the way up to today, have supposed that it must be referring to this, that sort of warfare. So to give you an idea, let's, let's dive into it just a little bit or wade into it. Maybe that's better. Chapter 8 in the book of Revelation, the seven uh, trumpets. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Now, don't forget that. Your prayers are coming up to God. They smell good. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So you begin, begin to see this apocalyptic, catastrophic, cataclysmic uh, imagery. And you could almost see the visual of it and hear the sounds. So the net seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. I'm not going to read all this or make comment on all of this, but I want to... Uh, I want to make a comment about some of it. First angel sounded, verse 7, and hail fire, and fire followed. Okay, so hail and fire is falling. Mingled with blood. Now you can, you can also correlate some of the things that happened with some of the plagues that happened on the Egyptians at the Exodus. But it goes beyond that, I believe. The hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees, a third of the trees were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers, and on the springs of water, the name of the stars Wormwood. Some believe that is a um, meteor, not a meteor, but a, a comet, um, some heavenly body that would uh, break the earth's atmosphere and bring pollution and devastation. But others attribute all of this that I've read so far to uh, a nuclear holocaust. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. Many men died from the water because it was made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, because if there was a nuclear war, there would be a lot of fallout. Just like if there was uh, mighty volcanoes, super volcanoes, like off the coast of, of um, Washington, 
not Washington, D.C., but Washington State or Yellowstone. They consider that a supervolcano. So, I mean, there could be more than one thing involved in this uh, apocalyptic scenario, you understand. But I'm also pointing out the relationship of the nuclear option as well. The fourth angel sounded, a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. So you have this dark, smoky atmosphere as a result of all these explosions and all these fires and all these eruptions. So that a third of them was dark, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of the heavens, saying with a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, whoa! to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, instead of me trying to parse all this, you can see very readily that this is very possibly, even if you don't want to be dogmatic about it, and I'm not necessarily being dogmatic about it because I could talk to you about this in a teaching chronologically and develop it in relationship to some of the other things in the book of Revelation but right now, for the sake of the podcast, I just want to share the relationship between a nuclear option and this sort of description that we're reading here in the book of Revelation chapter 8. So your question then is good, that you're probably thinking, is this what is about to happen? And that's a good question because my conundrum is I want to share with you how serious this kind of vitriol that is being spewed from political leaders, including the resident of our Oval Office and the others like Vladimir Putin and uh, dictator of North Korea and so on. It's a dangerous time. I cannot emphasize how dangerous. And I don't think that because I am about to tell you otherwise, that what I'm about to tell you is automatic. I believe it requires each of us being sincerely diligent about our intercession and our stance of righteousness. Now, you could go back to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed and You know, God didn't need a whole lot of folks, apparently. Abraham was trying to talk uh, God into not destroying those places. He got God down to 10, and he couldn't even find that many. Now, I think I can guarantee you there's way more than 10. You know, I mean, I don't know. um, That that alone might be the reason why what I'm about to tell you is true. But I, I just believe that we can't, When we prophesy that there is judgment coming, we can't act like it's not a very strong possibility that the judgment will happen immediately if my people, which are called by my name, do not turn from their wicked ways. See what I mean? So in a a way, it sounds like you're saying two things. Okay, you're saying we're going to turn from our wicked ways, but... You're also saying the judgment's coming. I'm saying that God can push something back or hold something off based on his criteria that he's outlined in the word, which I've shared with you a little bit about just now. But we can't get cavalier about it and say, okay, well, it's not going to happen right now. That'll be for later. So now here's where I'm going to take the turn. I do believe that will be for later. 
I don't know how much later. Maybe not a lot later, but for later. I believe that we're going to get some more time. I believe we're going to have a revival. And I... But here's something that I do want to share with you I think is very serious. And then I'll conclude this particular podcast. The nuclear option. I'm watching Brazil right now. They're out in the streets. I think I've seen five to ten nations where the people are out in the streets in masses. They know that they're being defrauded. They know that the elections are being rigged. And it's happened here in our nation. But there are not, doesn't seem like, enough people awake in our nation yet to bring about the transition or the um, turnaround that I believe is coming. But I believe that awakening is in motion. I believe it's happening faster. I believe it's increasing. And I believe that the nuclear option that I'm about to share with you might be a part of what uh, might be described as critical mass, where the point at which things turn around, the, the point at which everybody has had enough and there's, a, there's enough... I don't want to call it a quota, but there's enough people that are not accepting the status quo so that the change that would take place, and nobody really knows exactly what it's going to look like. I could describe with you some possible scenarios, but that's not a point of this podcast. But I believe that that point might be not just talking about a nuclear option, and it might not even be an actual nuclear event. Um, it might not be anything like Nagasaki or Hiroshima. It might not be anything like the uh, nuclear uh, accident that took place, what, in Russia some years ago. And by the way, there's nuclear power plants all over. Um, we've got them. We've got them here, you know. So there could be an accident that would take place. Uh, there could be some something that that's made to look like it's happening in order to uh, bring about fear or response from a, an opposing nation or group of people. Even if it's not classified in warfare as a nuclear altercation or situation, the nuclear option euphemistically is going to probably happen. What's that going to be? Is it going to be the arrest of Hunter Biden and then his relative? (laughs) That would be a nuclear option. What's it going to be? It it could be a culmination of several things converging, this convergence. Because remember I said the two types of nuclear bombs are fission and fusion. The combination of two opposing or two different kinds of nucleus or the dividing of an unstable nucleus, releasing energy. So take it however you want, figuratively or literally. I believe there will be a nuclear option of some kind that will bring to bear the change that I believe is going to take place. And included in that, is God's people calling on the name of the Lord. 
So I hope this has helped you some. It certainly didn't clarify everything because we don't know everything by any stretch of the imagination. But I think we can see how things are progressing. And I hope that you will get out and vote one time with your ID on election day or before with a legitimate ballot and encourage everybody else to do the same thing. And I think you know what to do. I believe if we overwhelm the cheating systems that have been in place or we keep an eye on everything, there's going to be a great transition in Congress and that great transition in Congress can give way to some other great transitions that will help bring about a time of revival and a time of opportunity. In the name of Jesus, Lord, help us to understand, help us to watch and pray. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.